Okay, cool. So I'm really excited to preach this morning. I'm also a little nervous, mostly just because my brain has felt like spaghetti lately. Anyone else? Just me? Yeah. Just a little bit, so I'm hoping that if some spaghetti comes flying out at you, that it at least sticks. Um, so we are in week two of our new series, Soul Alignment, where we're looking at the prayers of Jesus, two in particular, and the first one we're looking at is the Lord's Prayer, one that you're probably pretty familiar with. Um, and yeah, Justin started us off last week, and throughout this series, we're going to be, I mean, if we're talking about these prayers, we might as well pray them. So I'm going to go ahead and start opening us, um, open this message today with the Lord's Prayer. So it should be on the screen. Sweet. So you can read that along with me. Our Father, our art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and glory and glory forever and ever. Amen. So last week, Justin kind of went over the verses before Jesus introduces this prayer and then like the first line of it. Um, he talked about how like this is, Jesus is saying this is how you should pray and first compares it to how you should not pray, which is in this showy, elaborate kind of way in front of people. And instead, what Jesus gives to uh, his disciples is actually something that's very simple, short. But also, as we're digging into it, you'll see it's also very powerful. And <clears throat> Justin talked about how this kind of reads like a poem or a song that if you like translate it back into Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus would have spoken it in, even though it's recorded in Greek, that it actually rhymes. And so it's meant to be something that is easy to remember and to take with you. Justin also talked about how the purpose of prayer is our soul's alignment with God and made this cool graphic to describe that. Um, and so that was kind of the, the quick recap of it. Um, and then he looked a little bit at that first line, and I want to look at it just a little bit more before we dig into what I actually was assigned to talk about today. <laughs> but it's really important to look at this, how this prayer starts. So in the beginning, um, it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And this is really serving to be a point of orientation for us going into the prayer. Who are we praying to? Who is this God we are praying to? And it starts with our father. And Abba Father is um, this term that Jesus often used to describe God, and we see it in scripture a lot. And really, this is trying to capture that relational aspect of who God is to us as we pray. Now, God is often referred to as he or father in scripture and beyond, but it is important to remember that God does not have a gender. If, and Justin mentioned this too, but if God as father is a stumbling block for you, just remember 
this is about relationship, and it's not about who God actually is, a male or a female, right? But we are the children of God, and so this line, Abba Father, is really pointing us to remember that, that we are God's children. And it really shows this intimate aspect and relational aspect as who God is, the God that knows us as a parent, right? So what's interesting to me is this hasn't really been a stumbling block for me, but since I became a mother, like, I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about God as mother because God is both. And there's plenty of examples in scripture where God is mother. Um, And it just kind of really opened up this new understanding of God for me personally, um, being a part of creating life, right? It's really cool. Sorry, guys. You don't get to do it. So anyway, (laughs) the point of this really and me saying all of this and as I practiced saying this, I went all over the place and I'm trying to keep it together because I could say a lot about it. But the point is not to let this opening line be a stumbling block for you in this prayer. It is about this relational aspect of God. And the following line is equally important. Hallowed be thy name. This is this relational God, but also this is God who is holy. At the same time that God is so intimately knowable as father or mother, God is also holy, set apart, and worthy of our worship. So that's where the prayer begins and where it orients us. Today, I'm going to focus on your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. First, when I looked at that, I was like, eh, it's not a lot. It'll be easy. Man, I could just do a whole sermon on your kingdom come. So I'm going to do my best. But I'm going to break it down into subsections just to make it um, a little bit easier. So the first part, your kingdom come. We just finished up a series on the parables where we talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Um, So this should be easy. We'll move right past it. No, I'm just kidding. So one of the things that came out of that series, um, especially I know like in the parables that I covered, is we see a lot um, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, there's this idea of hiddenness and also being found, being known but not completely by all, right? And I think a really cool way to think about the kingdom is actually found in our series graphic perfectly. Justin and I must have read the same things here, put that together. Um, But this idea of this Venn diagram-like overlapping circle, okay, where the kingdom is here. Like, we can know it, we can find it, we are a part of it, and also not here because God's kingdom has not completely reached all the corners of the earth. There is still work to do. And so we live in this thing where the earthly kingdom, God's kingdom, are coming together, but not completely, right? And the vision that we get in the New Testament and in Christian theology, that is one of my favorite things that when things are really bad, I go to, is this idea that eventually, They'll come together in the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be made right. 
Oh, I cling to that one. But at the moment, we're here. So we pray for the kingdom to come. Why? Well, we want that, right? But also, it grounds us in God's story. It grounds us with where we are. And it's not a passive prayer. I think a lot of times we think of prayer, and when we pray, it's reactive, right? It's like something terrible is happening, please help God, or something awesome happened, thank you, God. Um, It's always like in reaction to something. But when we pray for God's kingdom to come, it is proactive because we are citizens of God's kingdom, and we are tasked with being that kingdom and spreading it. So this prayer is both a call to God, God bring your kingdom, and it's a call to us, you be the kingdom. And Jesus models this prayer in a way that is proactive and purposeful and relational. We're working with God. So then the next line, your will be done. Oh, God's will. So much to be said. How do we know God's will? Let's sit down for this one. (sighs) Nah, just kidding. So the simple Sunday school answer to this is read the Bible. But I'm not sure that answer is quite enough. Bear with me. To talk about this, I actually want to look back in Matthew's gospel, and I want to look at Matthew 4, chapter 1 through 11. This is um, the temptation narrative, and those of you that are doing the Lent study will have spent some time with this one this week or last, so you're ready. I'm going to read it, and then I'll talk about why I bring this up, okay? And I think we have it for you to read along. Awesome. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, You are the Son of God. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put your Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So in this narrative, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan, the devil, the evil one. And... Satan gives him some good reasons, actually, to yield, if you, if you read this right. He even uses scripture. But Jesus uses scripture as well, and he uses it in a way that hasn't warped it to serve his own. 
purpose. What Jesus wants or desires in this moment doesn't come into play, but his focus is on God and what God has called him to. Unfortunately, we often see scripture warped to justify our own desires, prejudices, and power structures. And historically, people and the church have been very guilty of using scripture to do some truly awful things in the name of God. Let's be honest. But remember the line before this, your kingdom come. We talked about what that means, right? It roots us in God's story, and that is the story of redemption and restoration of God's kingdom. And Jesus declares later in the gospel that he has not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He's constantly pointing back to the Jewish scriptures to show that what he's doing is consistent with God's word, but others looking at it think differently because of how they have been using scripture, right? So here's the thing. (laughs) Yes, we know God's will through scripture. We can know God's will through scripture, but we have to read scripture in context of the bigger story. Um, When our kids get dedicated here, we give them a little Bible, and for the longest time, we've got two options now, but for the longest time, we've been giving them the Jesus Storybook Bible, which, super cute, Um, but one of the cool things about it that um, is really helpful for kids and grown-ups is, like, it's telling the biblical stories throughout it, but it's always pointing forward to Jesus and to God's bigger story and what God's doing. So that's, it's important to keep everything within the narrative of God's bigger story. And it's also important to remember that all scripture was written in and for communities. Every book is telling the story of God for a certain people at a certain time. Knowing that gives us keys to understanding it and being able to hear God's heart and spirit speak through it. Also, scripture is meant to be read for us in community, where we together can interpret and know what the Spirit is saying. We are doing this intensely right now in our Lent study. If you're not a part of it, please come join one. Um, Small groups are doing it. I'm leading one on Wednesday nights. Would love to have you. But knowing God, and this is important to say, knowing God's will does not require a master's degree to properly interpret scripture. Today, as I go on, I'll be talking about some fun translation stuff and everything that's like, oh, really cool. You don't have to have that. But what you do have to have is humility. And Jesus shows us that when he answers back to Satan with these scriptures. He shows us that it cannot be about us, our wants, or our needs but about earnestly seeking what God wants or desires. And the other thing that reading scripture to know God's will requires is knowing God's heart. And we know God's heart by knowing Jesus. Be careful how you talk about God's will in your life and to other people. God's will is not some fickle thread of fate that explains every good or terrible thing that happens to us. 
what we know from scripture is that God's will is redemption. God's will is resurrection. God's will is reconciliation. And God's will is, as Jesus qualifies in this prayer next, to be on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what the story of God is telling us in scripture over and over again. So what does it mean to pray for God's will to be done? Well, we can look forward in scripture and see it very clearly in the prayer that Jesus prays in Gethsemane, right? So right before he's about to be um, betrayed and taken away and go through everything to be crucified, killed, he prays, Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me. He doesn't want it. But not my will, but your will be done. He prays it again. Jesus aligns himself with God's will when he prays that. And he aligns himself with God's will for those things I described before. Redemption, resurrection, reconciliation, the kingdom of heaven to reign here on earth. And so we must also align ourselves with those things when we pray. So this line of prayer is not so much about God's will in our individual lives, uh, in both the little and big details of it. We are called to pray about those things, and God does care about those things. Don't get me wrong. But discerning God's will in our lives will always point us to the cross and through it to resurrection. I could preach a lot on this, so I'm going to keep it there, keep it simple, and move on to bread. We all love bread, right? Give us this day our daily bread. So a lot of you know I've been making bread. Last time I preached, I made you bread. I'm really sorry I didn't today I know but see for Lent we've been doing this whole unleavened bread thing and it wasn't inspiring me I'm sorry <laughs> maybe next time we'll see so the thing about making bread <clears throat> that's interesting and and I did I did some like making bread during like the pandemic early pandemic like we all kind of picked up hobbies like what are we gonna do I guess I'll make bread kind of thing um, but lately, recent, more recently, I started making bread because, gosh, bread has just gotten so expensive. Everything's so expensive. But, like, I was just, like, buying bread in the store, and it was getting, like, not eaten. And I was like, I could just make this. It would be a lot cheaper and easier. And if you're interested in venturing on that and trying to make bread, I have recipes for you. It's really not hard. But the interesting thing about store-bought bread versus homemade bread is homemade bread does not last as long. It... Um, doesn't have any of the preservatives and stuff. So like when you first make it and then the few days after, oh, it's good. Then eh, it kind of goes bad pretty quickly versus like store-bought bread will last me at least the week. And it kind of reminds me of manna. Let's talk about manna. And as people are, are hearing this, Jesus preaching it, their, their minds are definitely going there. So manna in scripture is what God provides to the uh, Israelites that have fled Egypt and they're in the wilderness. It's what God provides them to eat. And it is a kind of bread thing, maybe more like a grain that they baked into bread. 
And it's funny because the manna actually translates to what is it, <laughs> which is always fun to think about. And it, it's really a story that um, continues to be a point of, of showing how God provided for his people in the wilderness. And he would give every day there would be bread from heaven, this, this manna, and it was, they were to take only enough for the day. If they tried to keep it and store it up for tomorrow, then it would go bad, much like my homemade bread. So our daily bread really is this line that recognizes that our need for sustenance daily, it recognizes that, and it recognizes God's desire to provide it for us. So daily is an interesting word in Greek. Um, it's not the word they use here. Oh, I didn't write it down, and it's been a while since I had Greek. Apiusiosa? A, a I'm, I'm butchering that. I'm sorry. But it's not found often, like, in Scripture or beyond. And it's kind of clear that, like, the Greek authors were scrambling to get the right word to capture the Aramaic here. Now, the Aramaic word that was likely used is korak. I, I'm not an Aramaic scholar, so I'm sorry if anyone is, and I butcher this too. But the root word of korak is actually means to be poor, to need, or to be necessary. And translated, it would have a meaning something like all that is needed this day. And so daily kind of capture that, captures that. But within this, there is kind of a question of how much is really needed? And many of us praying this prayer, not all of us, but a lot of us have not known true hunger or need. And I think there's a message here for that as well as for those that have and are trusting and relying on God daily to provide. Give us this day our daily bread. The prayer begins with our Father. This is a communal prayer to be shared in community, right? And now it returns to give us this day our daily bread. Spiritual life happens in community. We pray to our Father for the kingdom of God to come of which we are shared citizens. And now we pray that we might have our daily needs needs met. So the early church, like when they started out, and even Jesus in Jesus's ministry, there was a lot of sharing. There was bringing what you had and sharing it in community and very much was um, living into this idea of, of provision for all and everyone having enough. And so I think there's a challenge here for those of us that have more than enough. And remember the proactive nature of this prayer, right? That we are participants in this work of God. And so in as much as we are praying for God to move, we are meant to move along with God. So there's that. Another interesting thing about the language here, now this one's a bit more of a stretch, but bear with me. So give us this day our daily bread. It's kind of repetitive. Why do you need day and daily? Well, that Greek word 
epiusios, I think, is, like I said, a rare word. And when you break it down into its two roots and you translate it back to Aramaic, apparently it has this meaning that's more like for tomorrow or for the future could also be. And that would make the passage read more like, give us tomorrow's bread today. Linguistically, that kind of makes more sense. But what that kind of brings forth, and even just the line of bread, give us this day our daily bread, what it brings forth is this idea of a heavenly feast, which is a rich imagery in scripture and for all of God's people. Um, a great example of it you find in Isaiah 25, um, where it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, strained clear. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the, the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So give us this day our daily bread, if we think about it in terms of this heavenly feast. Give us tomorrow's bread today. Becomes another call for this kingdom of God, for salvation and for the rejoicing in the heavenly feast that will come. Allison, yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's a lot of places I didn't go. But, like, even when I talked about the temptation narrative, you know, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. So there's also the, an idea of bread as wisdom, as, as God's word, definitely. Um, it's sustenance. It's what we need. And it's not just bread, and it's not just food, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. That was great. Okay, so, what time? Okay, yeah, I try to keep it. I don't want to go too long. So let's move. Hey, it's a great transition, bread. Let's move to communion. Um, yeah, so I think this is a good lead into the table, right? So this table is both a table of remembrance of what Jesus did and a, a foreshadowing of the kingdom to come, of the heavenly feast where we will all dine together with Jesus again, right? And so as Jesus takes the bread and breaks it, he says, this is my body broken for you. He takes the cup and says, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So whatever you are taking away from these spaghettis, if you will, whatever sticks. I, um, I just pray for you as you come forth and partake of communion to linger on that a little bit with God, to linger on scripture with God. That's a big thing we're doing in this, in this study is really lingering with the spirit in the scripture slowly. So... I invite you to do that today, to come, to eat, partake in tomorrow's bread today. And as you come out, for those of you that are new, we have the lightsaber over here.
Woohoo! Um, you will go down your aisle, and we have our lovely servers over here who will serve the communion, and then you'll go back up to your seat. Um, and we have gluten-free if you need that. Yeah. All right. Close in prayer real quick. Dear Lord, God, I thank you so much for how you provide for us and also for how you challenge us. So I pray today that we will be challenged and that we will linger here with you in these words.